Welcome to Practical Christian Living. We want to make sure we're not deceived. We want to make sure we're walking in the truth. We have the shield of faith. Satan's fiery darts are doubts and lies. He shoots doubts into your mind. He shoots lies into your mind. He's hoping to catch you on fire. We have a shield of faith, trusting in what God says, putting out the fiery darts of the enemy. Perhaps our greatest example of how to walk in the boldness of Christ comes from the very example we have of Jesus as he walked this earth. We are in our series, Jesus Appointments, and today as we study Jesus confronting a legion of demons, we learn that we have been given great authority and power over the enemy. This is a powerful teaching, and we hope you'll stay with us for Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. Here comes Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. We thank you for your word. It is rich, it's deep, it's powerful, it's profound, it's meaningful. It is the means by which we turn to when we have difficulties, struggles, and problems. It is the way we discover the truth. It is where we can identify how you handle things and what you want from us. And we pray now that your Holy Spirit would help us as we consider this spiritual world that's around us and our interaction with it. We thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We are in the middle of a series entitled Jesus Appointments. We're making our way through the New Testament and we're seeing the different individuals that Jesus interacted with. The title of our message today is the Gadarean appointment. I was going to name it the demoniac appointment, but I bailed out on that because it's more than just a demoniac that he interacts with. It is also with the Gadareans. There's something specific that takes place with this group of people that live in this small community on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. We find Jesus delivering a man who is possessed by demons, and it's not just a small amount, it's a legion. He asks, who are you? And they say, our name is Legion. A Roman legion is 6,300 men, roughly. So it kind of speaks to us about the difference between the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Alongside of our world, we live in a, a physical realm but we are spirit, and our spirits are quickened to life when we become Christians, and so we live in the spiritual realm as well, and there are demonic and there are angelic spirits there are there. Of course, there is the great spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, who works within us as well, and I want to show you in a moment that we don't need to be afraid of this, but there are in this unseen spiritual world that we live in between, or in both worlds, we're like living between both of them, there are both malevolent and benevolent spirits. There are those who wish to do you harm, and there are those that wish to help you. And those that are on our side are more than those that are on their side, and that's a good thing. And we have been given authority and power, and the enemy cannot, cannot destroy you, attack you, tear you down, unless you cooperate with him. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, in Ephesians 6, we're told a little bit about this world. Ephesians 6, verse 11 says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles means the schemes of the enemy. The enemy can't outright attack you. 
We'll see that in a moment. We've got some promises in the Bible on that. The way that you prepare is to put on the armor of God. This isn't new to us, right? We know that. And quickly, we put on the helmet of salvation. We know we're saved. We make sure we're saved, that we're doing what's right. We examine ourselves, that we aren't playing a game. We aren't pretending. We aren't making ourselves feel good. We really have put on that helmet of salvation and surrendered our lives to Christ. We have the breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness that we are given by Christ, and we keep that up. We keep short accounts with God. We have the belt of truth. We're interested in knowing what the truth is. We want to live by the truth. Satan's a liar. Satan's a deceiver. We want to make sure we're not deceived. We want to make sure we're walking in the truth. We have the shield of faith. Satan's fiery darts are doubts and lies. He shoots doubts into your mind. He shoots lies into your mind. He's hoping to catch you on fire. We have a shield of faith, trusting in what God says, putting out the fiery darts of the enemy. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we have the sword of the Spirit, which we live by. When, when we face difficult times, when we're going through rough times, we need to get the habit of going to the Word of God. We go to the Word of God in the midst of those things because that is our sword. And of course, and this might be one of the biggest pictures, our feet are prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The boots that we wear are gospel boots that everywhere we go, this is what the battle's about. This is what the whole thing with Satan is about. It's about you being salt and light and everywhere you go, you have the gospel with you and the enemy wants to stop you, wants to make you ineffective. And I think he's pretty good at it, by the way. I, I think he makes you feel like oh, I can't really do anything and I'm not really shining for Christ. And a large part, the church doesn't know who you are. We don't know the power we've been given. We don't know what our call is. We accept this idea that Jesus is this self-help kind of Christianity. He's here to make my life better. He's here to make me more comfortable. He's here to make me more happy. He's here to help me when I get into difficulties. When that is so not what the Bible says. The Bible says we are, you know, we're like athletes and we're to run to win we're, we're like soldiers that don't entangle ourselves in the things of this world because our call is high. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. That's who we are. And when we put that armor on, now we're able to stand against the enemy. The Bible says that he is a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. He's looking for people that don't have that armor on. If you have not really been saved, he can attack you. If you don't have your breastplate of righteousness on, he can attack you. If you're not doing the work of the gospel, he's got you right where he wants you to be. If you don't use the sword of the spirit, if you don't know the word of God, bring it into your life daily even, that he's able to attack you. If you don't walk in faith with a shield of faith, he's able to attack you. So he says, we do not wrestle, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers against the rulers of darkness of this age. Notice that these demonic forces are organized. The rulers of power of this age. They are rulers. They have authority. They have power. They are organized against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, stand. The only way the enemy can really come in and kill, steal, and destroy in your life is if you cooperate with him by not wearing that. Jesus also gave us great authority and power over the enemy because of who we are. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and behold, I give you authority 
to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will by any means hurt you. What an incredible promise. He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't rejoice in that great authority that you have over these demonic spirits. Walk around, I'm like a, I'm like a demon killer. I'll take those demons out. But rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and you are going to heaven. It's just keeping ourselves well planted in what God wants to do for us. We are not alone in this spiritual world. We are told that angels help us. And I think they help us more than we know. Jesus was ministered to by angels on several occasions, and I believe that the genuine Christians who are here have been ministered to by angels as well. I think there are times when we are worn out, when we've been knocked down, that God wants to come alongside of us and help us. We see this in the life of Jesus, and I think it happens with us. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent to minister forth for those who have inherited salvation. Have you inherited salvation? Then you have ministering spirits. Jesus said, the angels of the children constantly see the face of God. The concept of guardian angels for our kids is a, is a true concept. With that in mind, let's take a look at this account of Jesus facing the demoniac from the Gadarean area. And... Jesus is on his way there. He tells his disciples, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. And a storm arises in the middle. Jesus is exhausted from his ministry. And he goes up in the front of the boat and he falls asleep. And Peter wakes him up and says, Lord, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus rebukes Peter. Oh, you of little faith. And then he rebukes the winds and the waves and they stop. Jesus had said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. He didn't say, let's get in the boat, get in the tempest and drown. He said, let's get in the boat and go to the other side. When God gives us his word from point A, where we start on our journey of faith, till point Z, when we get there, there might be all kinds of tests and challenges in between that will test and challenge your faith. But the question is, do you believe what Jesus said? That's why he rebuked Peter. Lord, we're perishing. Jesus is like, what, what did I say? Let's get in the boat and get to the other side. Where's your faith, Peter? And then he rebukes the wind and waves, and he doesn't pray to rebuke the wind and waves. He just rebukes them, because that's Jesus' authority. Like, like he rebuked fevers, illnesses, cast demons out. He, he raised people from the dead. He says to the, well, we'll have the ruler's appointment here in a while, that little girl that gets raised from the dead. He just says, Talitha Kumi, little girl arise. He doesn't go through some big, huge, you know, I come now against death. He just got little girl arise. And he says to the waves, cease and be still. And because of who he is and the authority that he has, they cease and they are still. That's the authority. Now he arrives in the region of the Gadareans. And just so that we understand, Luke talks about Gerasa, another place. Gerasa is one of the cities of the Decapolis that is a distance away from the region of the Gadareans. The Gadareans were by the Sea of Galilee and they were Jewish Gerasaw, one of the cities of the Decapolis, was a mixture of Greek and, and Jewish cities. They had a Greek section, they had a Jewish section, they were Hellenized, 
Bet-Sheon, if you ever go to Israel, you will visit Bet-Sheon, is one of the cities of the Decapolis. They were 10 cities that were around the region of the Galilee that were not villages of the Hebrews like Capernaum and Nazareth and some of the other ones that you study. Jesus went to Gadaria, which is right by the ocean. They are raising swine there for the people that live in Gerasa, which is not far away. These are, are most likely Jewish people raising swine for the people living in Gerasa. But, but I found something this week that I've never found before. In Isaiah 65, verses 1 through 4, don't go there yet, we'll go there at the end of the study. And I found an interesting passage that makes me think that we have a revelation, a prophecy of what these people in, in, in Gadaria were doing that why they respond and react and have this demon-possessed man among them because as Jews, they were doing some things that they shouldn't be doing and because of that, there is this allowance of this demoniac to possess this man and harass the community because he's not just possessing a man, he's harassing the community, the entire community that is there in Gadaria. And so in verse one of Mark chapter five, it says, then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadareans. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He, he just, he's assaulted by this guy. This guy immediately runs up to him who had his dwelling among the tombs. No one could bind him, not even with chains because he had often been bound with shackles and chains and chains had been pulled apart and the shackles broken to pieces, neither could they tame him. He always, night and day, was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. He cried out with a loud voice and said, what do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. So much interesting, so many interesting things there. A demon says, I implore you by, by God that you don't torment me. It's kind of like we got some rules here and I implore you by God. Uh, the other passage, Luke tells us that this man would run around naked. So we have this naked man who is possessed, who has a supernatural strength. If you want to know more about that strength or read more about it, we have the seven sons of Sceva in the book of Acts, and they tried to cast a demon because they heard that Paul had been doing it out of a man, but this man had, had strength, more strength than he should have, and he was able to beat them, and they ran with their clothes torn off of them, and they fled from this one man. So it seems that when someone is demon-possessed, there's an ability for a greater strength that is there. This man would literally break chains and um, lived among the tombs. You'd hear him in the mountains at night screaming and cutting himself and, and, and yelling. You can imagine the whole region of the Gadareans were terrified of this man, that they, they, were, they were harassed by him. You would go from your house to somebody else's house as fast as you could go. And you would hope you wouldn't see the guy that's living in the tombs, that's screaming up in the mountains. It would be a terrifying thing to have going on in your neighborhood. Am I right? Something that you wouldn't want to have at all in the place that you were living. He recognizes that Jesus is the son of the most high God. 
we have not had that revealed to us yet in the Gospels. Demons know certain truths. Demons believe, it says in the book of James, and they tremble. They know the power of God. They believe. And, and James is making a point about demonic faith, that it's possible for you to believe in God, to believe He exists and to even tremble, to even be afraid of Him, but not to surrender your life to Him. It's possible that you can have the kind of faith that says, I believe He's there, I know He's there, but I'm not going to live for Him. That is called demonic faith, and, and it is not saving faith. Saving faith is when you believe all those things, and then you surrender your life to God. That is saving faith. Demons have faith. They believe. They know God's there, but they don't have saving faith. He even knew that he was the son of God, but he didn't have saving faith. And he implored him not to torment him, which is the end of all demonic spirits. For he said to him, come out of the man, an unclean spirit. Now, when you compare this again to the other accounts, you see that Jesus had to say that to him a couple of times. And the Bible says that, that everywhere Jesus went, he cast out demons with a word. Just one word, get, boom, they're gone because of who he is. They cast a demon out, but it doesn't leave. Maybe, maybe the demon that first spoke to him, maybe the demon that said, what do I have I to do with you, you know, son of the most high God, Jesus said, get out. Maybe that demon left. What he didn't know is there was like 6,000 more inside. Maybe he did know. I, 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 I'm always confused about what Jesus knew and didn't know. He could read people's minds. He knew certain things, but in his humanity, there were things he didn't know. He didn't know the return of the Son of Man, for example. He didn't know who had touched him and the power had gone out from him, but other times he knew things. So I was talking with Ray, one of our pastors here last night about that, and he made mention of the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in the life of Jesus completely. Jesus, obviously, as a baby, didn't know he was God. As he grew in knowledge and wisdom, he came to the understanding that he fulfilled all of those scriptures and that he was God. And at times we could see that deity working, but he cast the spirit out. Then he says to him, what is your name? It's like, this guy's still demon possessed. And he answered saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. My name, singular, is Legion, for we are many. It's a group of demons that have entered into this man. And now we see that the spiritual world has different laws than the physical world. There's no way that you could fit 6,000 beings into anybody, but in the spiritual world, you could put 6,000 beings into this man. So the spiritual world has different parameters, different guidelines, different ways in which it works. And there's a legion in there. Also, we begged him earnestly that he would not send him out of the country. Now, this is very important. And here's one of the places that we learn. I told you when we were reading Ephesians that demons are regional, that they are organized. I told you they were organized. Here we learn that they're regional. In the book of Daniel, Gabriel comes and answers one of Daniel's prayers. But before he gets there, he battles with the prince of, I think it was uh, Persia. And then he says, I must go and battle with the prince of Greece. Ephesians says, we don't battle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, princes, principalities, and spiritual hosts of darkness. So he's battling against spirits of Greece and of Persia. Now this demon in the area of the Gadareans doesn't want to leave the area. These demons are like, we're here. This is where we are. This is where they were stationed, we could say. And they pleaded that they would not leave the area. 
let us stay here. And so they begged him that they wouldn't leave the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, and that already should bring a kind of a shock in. Maybe if you were in that day, you would know the area of the Gadareans prepared swine. There was actually three of the cities of the Decapolis that were not too far away from there, the closest one being Gerasa. You can look all this up, by the way. Look up the cities of the Decapolis. You can see where they were. You can see how close they are to the region, the ones that are close to the region where Galilee is. And it says, so the demons begged him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. And the unclean spirit went and entered the swine. Now, that's a little bit of a shocking statement. Animals can be demon-possessed. That makes a lot of sense to me. I've known a few demon-possessed dogs along the way. <laughs> there's, no, there's no other explanation, right? There's got, had to be a demon-possessed dog. However, we give demonic spirits too much credit. Sometimes we act like they're omnipresent, omnipowerful, that they have all knowledge, that they know everything in your life, that they know all wisdom. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know the way you're going to respond. Maybe they can take some good guesses because they've been working with humanity a long time, but they don't know. And they want to go into these pigs and possess them. I'm sure their plan wasn't for the pigs to kill themselves, but one of the things that the demoniac was doing was cutting himself and screaming in the hills. But I think the demons were leading him to kill himself. Because that's what demons want to do. It's almost like they can't help themselves. They come to kill, steal, and destroy. Again, for a Christian, only if you cooperate. Let me just make a quick statement. You as a believer cannot be possessed. In a way, you are. You didn't expect to hear that, I bet. You are possessed by a spirit. But you're possessed by the spirit of the living God. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Therefore, no, no demon can live inside of you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You might not have your armor on. You may have left your flanks open for the enemy to attack you and oppress you. The way you handle that is get your armor back on. Get back into the word of God. Get that shield of faith up. Have the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation, get it back on. That's the way you battle that if you're feeling oppressed. If that's where you are, that's what you do. If you say, well, I'm just feeling oppressed. Devil's been getting me down. He's been attacking me lately. Well, then stop moping. Get back in the battle. Get your armor on. Get back in the battle and fight against him. For us, demonic spirit cannot attack us. We can't have a spirit within us. But animals can. There were about 2,000, and the herd ran violently down a steep place and into the sea and drowned in the sea. They were unaware that they were, these pigs were going to react with killing themselves. They were like, what is this? And they ran down this hill and into the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and the country, and they went out to see what had happened. They go to the city and they tell the people who own the pigs, and those people who are around the area, and they come to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Our God is a God who delivers. Never forget that. Our God is a God that can help you with addiction. 
Our God is a God that can help you with a stronghold of pornography. Our God is a God that can free you from a demonic influence, or if you don't know Him, even a possession. Our God is a God that delivers and puts people in their right mind and in their right place. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.